Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Michael Avenatti, yep, running for president, got a little detour, charged and arrested last night with domestic violence. Out in Los Angeles, he says he didn't do it, and he never would strike another woman. Not a great start to a presidential campaign. (laughs) What do you say? (laughs) Hello, everybody. Pardon me. I'll get it going here. Thursday, November 15, uh, yeah, a little bit of winter weather striking uh, Washington, D.C. today uh, with a little bit of sleet, a little bit of uh, maybe snow later as part of the storm that uh, hit yesterday. Can you believe it? It's like winter weather of all places in Mississippi and Arkansas and Tennessee and Louisiana and now coming up here toward the Mid-Atlantic and then to the uh, northeastern states. Wherever you are, I hope you are off to a good start today on this Thursday, and thank you for making your start. Uh, The Bill Press Show, our job to bring you up to date on all the news of the day. As always, there is lots of it. Here from Washington, around the country, around the globe, we'll tell you what's going on, and uh, you tell us what you think about it all as we join you online, on the radio, uh, and on television. Recounts still going on in Florida, and a judge yesterday Uh, extending the deadline uh, to Saturday at 5 o'clock in case they don't get it all done today by 5 o'clock, which was the original deadline. And, of course, also got a recount underway in Georgia. And Democrats picking up two more seats. We'll tell you all about it. You tell us what you think about it on Twitter, at BP Show. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the yes, yes. Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. It was a big night in the NBA last night, Bill. There's LeBron down the middle, foul in a bucket. LeBron's up to 43. 43 points, 10 rebounds on 13 of 19 shooting. 
Nine assists and three blocks, too. Le- LeBron James would finish the win for the oh. Los Angeles Lakers over the Portland Trailblazers with 44 points. The big story there is last night he passed Wilt Chamberlain on the all-time scoring list. LeBron James is now fifth on the list. And again, this is the first 40-point game he had all season, so he just keeps moving up. But when you pass Wilt Chamberlain for scoring, you really did something. Man. It's a big deal. Just incredible. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he's just completely dominant. By the way, you mentioned the winter weather that's coming all around the country. Uh, Texas is also feeling it. Yesterday, San Antonio reached a low of 23 degrees. That is Whoa. the lowest that San Antonio, the coldest it's been. In 102 years, that last time that they had a uh, the the uh, coldest weather in San Antonio was 1916. Is that Whoa. crazy? Yeah, San Antonio, you just don't right. Don't no, I mean, I, I lived in San Antonio. It doesn't get that cold there. And by the way, not far from San Antonio in Houston, they had which does occasionally get some snow. It's not common, but it's not unheard of. Yeah, they yeah. actually got snow yesterday. It's the earliest that they've ever seen snow. Uh, in that region. And Bill, we are one week away from Thanksgiving. Yes. The best holiday. We we, we agree on that. It is the best holiday. The best holiday. Well, they are saying that people are going to be traveling in record numbers. Reports saying 30.6 million people are expected to travel. That is up over a million travelers from last year. And one thing that TSA agents are seeing more and more of People traveling with turkeys, not live turkeys, oh, but they'll oh. pack the turkey in their <laughs> luggage really? and pies and sides and dressing and all of that. Yeah, I, I can see that. They're going to, right? Totally. Is You're grandma's to house or yeah. grandma going to their you house? Freeze and, your food, put it in your yeah. luggage. You can take it with you. Of course, it's totally fine. You can do that. It will be screened. Just remember, you cannot do it with liquids. You can just do it with food. So if you want to bring the Thanksgiving booze. Oh, you have to leave that at home. Yeah. But the turkeys, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you can put the booze in your checked luggage. You can put it in your checked luggage, sure. Sure. This is the Bill Press Show. Democrats pick up at least one more, and it looks like two more congressional seats. Yep, that blue wave keeps growing and growing. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go on Thursday, November 15. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome to the program. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, it's good to be with you, good to join you for a little recap of the day's news uh, on every front. Here in Washington, D.C., both the latest, a lot of leadership battles and a lot of leadership decisions made yesterday at the United States Capitol. Uh, Donald Trump, in a very grumpy mood, uh, did take time out to uh, support and put throw his weight behind a, and boy, that's a lot of weight, uh, behind a bipartisan criminal justice reform bill down at the White House. Here in Washington, a judge yesterday held the first hearing on CNN's lawsuit against Donald Trump and says he will rule today whether or not to reinstate Jim Acosta, the senior White House reporter for CNN, whether or not to reinstate his press credentials, which I believe he will and which he certainly should. 
Uh, and then more news around the country of the latest on the wildfires in California and outcome of two exciting congressional races, the latest on the recount down in Florida and recounts in Florida and Georgia. Uh, so we just got so damn much to talk about. We'll get right to it and look forward to hearing from you, your comments on all of the above. And you know how to do so. Just go on Twitter, push Donald Trump aside and send us your comments on Twitter at BP show. Uh, yes, indeed. As we mentioned um a little stormy weather uh, coming our way here. Nothing real serious yet. It's not going to shut anything down in Washington, we don't think. Uh, but uh, major storms, snowstorms yesterday, it was just incredible to see the, uh, the snow conditions in Arkansas and Mississippi, of all places, in Louisiana, uh, and also in uh, the state of Tennessee, uh, and now heading, heading up this way. And out in California, wildfires still, still, I think the campfire is now 35% contained only. And there's the Woolsey Fire in Southern California. I saw the numbers this morning, 88,650 homes destroyed in the campfire up in Butte County, California, around the, and just wiping out the entire town of Paradise, California. It is the worst, by far now, the worst uh, wildfire in California history. The death toll there is 56, and there are still 130 people unaccounted for. Um, Very, very hard. Um, Some of those people are turning up in shelters, or they've fled and and just finally getting back in touch with their family. Uh, But too many uh, they fear are nothing but uh, bones and ashes uh, in their homes or in their vehicles uh, after the fire ravaged through there. Uh, so 56 dead, three dead, uh, maybe three, at least two, maybe a third one uh, in the Woolsey Fire uh, in Southern California. Yesterday, the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, was out there, uh, and Governor Jerry Brown was on the scene as well. Uh, Governor and then the head of the EPA, Brock Long, Governor FEMA, Brown, saying FEMA. it was. I'm sorry, a FEMA. He's I'm sorry. FEMA, yeah. FEMA, uh, Governor Brown, uh, absolute war zone. It looks like a war zone. It is. It's the devastation that only fires of this kind could bring about. And uh, Brock Long, uh, again, the head of FEMA, uh, never seen anything worse than this. Unfortunately, uh, everything that I've seen, this is just truly devastating and heartbreaking. It's one of the worst disasters that I've seen in my career. And that said by the uh, head of FEMA, indeed. Um, So, uh, again, salutes and uh, thanks to the brave firefighters who are still on the line. I mean, they just go on for days and days and days at this. I don't know. I don't know where they get the strength uh, or the courage uh, to do it, but they are real heroes of the moment. Um, and and their job, which used to be a seasonal job, is now a year-round job in, in California, so they get no rest at all. Uh, meanwhile, breaking news last night, right at the right in the middle of the uh, evening news, it came out that uh, Michael Avenatti, yes, he, Stormy Daniels' attorney, uh, also, who jumped into the Brett Kavanaugh uh, confirmation crisis, or clash a little bit, repre- claiming he represented a woman out in Montgomery County uh, who had had, uh, had experienced physical or sexual assault from uh, 
then teenager Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Michael Avenatti, who uh, is a, a constant presence on the uh, cable news uh, and has become so um, enamored with his own success that he is actually now talking about running for president in 2020. He's been out in Iowa. He's been in New Hampshire. Uh, yesterday, he ended up in a jail cell in Los Angeles. Uh, he was uh, There were charges of domestic abuse filed against him. Um, And he was booked and spent some time in a jail cell. But in typical fashion, after he was released, Michael Avenatti held a news conference right outside the jail and said, never did it. I have never struck a woman. I never will strike a woman. I have been an advocate for women's rights my entire career. Okay. Uh, uh, Even if we believe him. Um, and by the way, his two former wives, uh, two former, one wife at least, and another major player in his life, uh, in his life, both put out statements yesterday saying uh, this is not the Michael Avenatti they know. They they refuse to believe it. They never saw any signs of any violence at all. Uh, so even if we believe what he said, we just have to say it's not the best place to launch a presidential campaign in a news conference outside the jail with you where you've just been charged with domestic violence. On the other hand, Donald Trump made it. Sure. So you could also say, the cynic in you could say, hey, he's got the number one qualification you need these days. I don't think so. Speaking on the uh, political front, we told you yesterday about uh, another pickup by by Democrats uh, with uh, Jeff Denham conceding up in, uh, in the Central Valley of California. Uh, yesterday, at least one, it looks like two more pickups. One pickup in New Jersey 3, where Andy Kim, Democrat, uh, has definitely, definitely outflanked, outrun, and beat Tom MacArthur, Republican. Interesting, because MacArthur had been trying to be sort of a moderate Republican, actually trying to help keep Obamacare alive. Uh, Republican, the people in his party turned against him, I guess, for that. And Democrats said, we want somebody who's really out there for health care for all. Uh, And after a a week-long recount uh, or checking all the rest of the ballots, anyhow, Andy Kim has been declared the winner in New Jersey. Boy, yesterday we were at a pickup of 34, so that makes a pickup of 35. And now, uh, according to the Cook Political Report, out in California, another race in Orange County, California. This is District, I don't know, 45, 46, 47, around that time, around that uh, th- that number of California. Mimi Waters, Republican, uh, she has been defeated by Katy Perry. Is it, I'm pretty sure that's her last name, right? Oops, got it here. Katie Porter. Katie Porter. Porter, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Katie Porter. Uh, and um, there's another pickup, so that would make 36. You know, it, what's really fascinating about this is I, I think I saw, right. I saw a lot of people talking about like, yeah, this is California. Of course, it's going to go blue, right? But these are no. there are you know better than anybody, Bill. Yeah. There are very red portions. Yes, very yes. red portions now, of California. This, I've said it before. This is Orange County, California. This is John Wayne country. This is Ronald Reagan country. This we always used to call it when I was Democratic State Chair of California. This was. When you went to Orange County, you went behind the Orange Curtain. It was a total different. Uh, there was a there was always a good 
clutch of Democrats in Orange County, but just not many, right? Overwhelmingly conservative. And so now the Dana Rohrabacher seat has gone Democratic. The Daryl Issa seat, which is part of San Diego, part of Orange County, going Democratic. The Mimi Waters seat, there's still one out there, the Ed Roy seat. So Democrats could pick up as many as four congressional congressional new members of Congress, flip four seats in the stronghold of the conservative base in, in California. Just absolutely stunning. So again, that would get up to, that would be... 34, 35, 36 pickups for the Democrats, which is more than Democrat, more seats than Democrats have ever won in any midterm election since Watergate. Don't tell me this was not a blue wave. This was a blue wave a week ago. And maybe that's why Donald Trump is in such a funk. Um, by the way, down in Florida, the recount still uh, going on down there. Uh, and... Um, the a judge yesterday said that in response to it's very interesting. Rick Scott, remember the governor, filed a lawsuit a couple of days ago wanting to stop the count because of so much voter fraud. Uh, a judge heard that and threw the threw that case out and said it's frivolous. There's no evidence of fraud. Worthless lawsuit. Just basically get out of here. Senator Bill Nelson filed a lawsuit saying a very reasonable, responsible lawsuit saying uh, that this Thursday deadline today by 5 p.m. to have counted all the votes in Broward County and Miami-Dade particularly um, was an artificial deadline. And if the election officials working as hard as they are could not meet the deadline, that they deserved the, to have more time. They should extend the deadline. And a judge yesterday heard that and said, that eh, makes sense. Yes, if they don't get it done. Uh, and I believe Broward County said they will get it done. Miami-Dade is saying we need, may need some more time. Anyhow, the judge said you can have until 5 o'clock Saturday. So gave them 48 hours more if they need it, up to 48 hours more, which is a reasonable thing. So uh, <clears throat> we could be going into the weekend and maybe next, maybe by Thanksgiving. I wouldn't count on it, by well, the no. way. I wouldn't yeah. count on it being done by Thanksgiving. So there are four or five more congressional seats that haven't been called and then we've got the Senate race, the governor's race in uh, in in Florida, where uh, a couple of Democrats spoke out uh, yesterday. Allegra Lawrence Hart, well, that's in Georgia, just a second. But in Florida, Laurie Berman's a, a state senator saying, uh, you know, here again, Rick Scott just can't be trusted on this. Uh, he, he's uh, he's always trying to suppress the vote. We have seen efforts by our governor to suppress voters in the past. And this is another prime example of it. And Terry Rizzo, the uh, state chair of, of Florida, uh, has, in fact, she was active in the Florida uh, Democratic Party. May even I thought that name was. She may even have been chair back when I was chair in California. I was going to say, that name sounds very familiar. Yes, she, she's been around. At any rate, she, Terry said, you know, all we're trying to do is count. All, why are the Republicans afraid of counting all the votes? The fact that the Republicans are resorting to this inflammatory rhetoric um, and can Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, Donald Trump and all the Republicans uh, continue to do the show that, that they are afraid that when all votes count, um, they won't have the votes to win. Right. Uh, and so that continues in Florida and in Georgia as well. Uh, uh, yeah, 
the by the way, did you, I don't know whether you saw Rick Scott is actually in Washington hanging out with the newly elected Republican senators <clears throat> as if, yeah. Don't count your chickens before they hatch, dude. You may go back to Florida with your tail between your legs, right? How embarrassing. We can only hope. I, we can only hope is right. Uh, and in Georgia, Allegra Lawrence, or the recount continues as well. Uh, a lot of question there because Brian Kemp, the, when he was Secretary of State, did everything he could, known, fact, to suppress the vote, uh, including um, putting some pretty strict rules down on provisional ballots, which have disqualified uh, and disenfranchised a lot of people. Allegra Lawrence Hardy is a spokesperson for Stacey Abrams. We have received report after report after report from voters who were denied a provisional ballot. And whatever happens, was that a fair election down there? <laughs> Ask a senator, the great senator, Sherrod Brown from Ohio. Hell no. If Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. And I would say, I say that publicly, it's clear. Yeah, absolutely. Good for Sherrod Brown. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's what it was. Exactly. You know, you so, look at you look at all on, these stories that continue to come out about how the election took place in Georgia, specifically, right? There are problems all over the country. But they invested in thousands of new voter machines, and they kept them wrapped up under lock and key. They didn't bring them out. Th- literally thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And so- you know, there were a lot of people who showed up to vote, and there were incredibly long lines. Now, not everybody has the time right. to stand in a long line until yeah. we and get those, until we get the uh, election day as a national those, holiday. And those when you other get to machines were in, off, were in mothballs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, a lot of people didn't yeah. vote because they, they <laughs> couldn't stand in line. They couldn't wait. Right. Uh, well, by the way, in case there's um, you wonder what happened in Florida, um, we now understand it all. Uh, Donald Trump made it very, very clear yesterday uh, that what happened is um, people cheat, of course, because he's such a cheater, he thinks everybody cheats. But here's what he actually told the Daily Caller yesterday, that this this is a... <laughs> it does make you question the sanity of the man who's in the White House. I'm sorry, it does. He says this, quote, to the Daily Caller in an interview yesterday, quote, when people get in line that have absolutely no right to vote and they go around in circles, sometimes they go to their cars, put on a different hat, put on a different shirt, come in and vote again. It's a disgrace what's going on. You see all these people. I, what? Where did he get that from? I mean, it is just insane. You know, as it with is insane. As with most Trump lies, when he puts it out there, it usually means that he's thinking about doing it himself. <laughs> you know, like that's just sort of a trend. Or but, he's done it himself. Or he's done it himself. But there's absolutely no evidence for no. this whatsoever. No. Yeah. Not one shred of evidence. Name one. Sure. Point. Show one person. Yeah. Show a video of one person Can't doing do that. Right. You're not going to be able to do it. No. Cannot do it. And he just says that stuff. As, you know, as so many people have said, including Barack Obama, he just makes blank up. Yeah. He does. And and throws it out there. Uh, also, on the political front, very interesting, I think. Uh, we mentioned yesterday that the uh, looking ahead to everybody is right now, of course, to 2020. Mentioned that the Hill newspaper did a, a poll right after the midterms. And 70% of Americans say that Donald Trump should be challenged 
in the Republican primary in 2020. We don't know who that might be yet. Um, But now there's a new poll out uh, that Politico reports this morning from Monmouth University. They've got a pretty good reputation when it comes to polling. Uh, Monmouth University uh, asked people, first of all, what's your, uh, do you approve of the job that uh, Donald Trump is doing? It's 43% approval rating, according to this poll. Nothing to brag about. So then they said, should, here's a key question. Should Donald Trump be reelected? Should he get another term? Should he get another four years? Should he be re- reelected in 2020? Now, of course, look. It's early. We haven't had a campaign. We don't know who's running against him. You know, he could still pivot. We're still waiting for the pivot. Oh, yeah, man, for when sure. When he becomes rational and sane and positive and tries to get things done rather than just attack, attack, attack. But at any rate, at this point, their poll shows overall 30, a great big resounding 37% of Americans say they'd like to see another four years of Donald Trump. Uh, 37. That's sort of like the sound of one hand clapping. But here's what's very interesting. Among when you break it down, uh, so 37 only 37 percent. Um, 16 percent of re- Republicans would like to see him out. 16 percent of Republicans already say we don't want four more years of Donald Trump. Ninety-two percent of Democrats say we don't want four years of more years of Donald Trump, and fifty-eight percent. This is very key. Fifty-eight percent of independents say they couldn't stand another four years of Donald Trump. Um, so it uh, it's getting very interesting, uh, very interesting on that front. Yesterday, a um, about, oh, by the way, I mentioned uh, one person who's thinking of uh, running against him, of course, is uh, in terms of a challenger, a potential challenger in 2020, is the outgoing senator from Arizona, Jeff Flake, who yesterday spoke out about um, Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general, staffer, chief of staff for Jeff Sessions, appointed by Donald Trump as the uh, acting attorney general. Uh, and uh, Jeff Flake says, doesn't smell right to him. So it wasn't as if they just leapfrogged over the deputy. They took this investigation from him and gave it to somebody who has not received Senate confirmation. That does not seem constitutional to me. Right. So uh, Jeff is Flake is one of those people who uh, is uh, supporting legislation that would protect Robert Mueller and pre- prevent his being fired by Donald Trump, a legislation that he and Chris Coons from Delaware uh, have introduced bipartisan legislation, which they say they want to try to get a vote on the Senate floor this week. Mitch McConnell says, why do we have to do that? There ain't no threat. We know how the president feels about the Mueller investigation, but he's never said he wants to shut it down. I've never heard anybody down there say they want to shut it down. I think it's in no danger, and so I don't think any legislation is necessary. Uh Yeah, no legislation necessary. Uh, our good friend Jeff Tubin from CNN uh, really uh, summed it up when it comes down to Mitch McConnell versus Jeff Flake. We've seen Jeff Flake. He caves every single time. Is there anything more empty in American politics than a threat from Jeff Flake, who has made his entire career by folding every time Mitch McConnell breathes hard? 
I mean, Mitch McConnell is going to squash Jeff Flake like a bug, as he always does. <laughs> My God, how many times can you dunk on someone in a 10-second clip? <laughs> that sums it up so well. Good God. <laughs> squash him like a bug, indeed. Uh, so a big day in the, court, in the courts here in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Uh, we've been telling you all about it, and you, you've heard so much if you didn't see uh, Donald Trump's news conference last week where uh, he went on the attack against uh, Jim Acosta from CNN, not only Jim Acosta, Peter Alexander from NBC, uh, April Ryan from Urban Radio Network, the next day Abby Phillips from NBC. Uh, and um, then they ended up yanking uh, Jim Acosta's press pass uh, and CNN filing a lawsuit against that. Yesterday, a judge heard this case. It was very interesting for one thing, that CNN was immediately, not alone in the courtroom. Uh, CNN was joined in the courtroom, people standing up and supporting CNN, saying you cannot do this to our reporter. We decide, you don't decide who gets to represent, who who covers the White House for CNN. Uh, But listen to this. Some of the biggest names in journalism, the White House Correspondents Association, of which I'm a member, proud that we're there behind CNN on this, so are Associated Press, Bloomberg, Gannett, the National Press Club. I've never seen them involved in any litigation before, but they are here. Uh, NBC News, the New York Times, Politico, the Washington Post, USA Today. I don't see ABC or CBS News here. Maybe they just haven't done it yet, but they should be there. But that's a pretty impressive list. And not only that, but Fox News. Fox News yesterday, Jay Wallace, the president of Fox News, put out a statement saying that we, while we don't condone the growing antagonistic tone by both the president and the press at recent media avails, we do support a free press access and open exchanges for the American people. And they went on to say that a White House press pass should not be weaponized. At any rate, the judge said he's going to rule by today. Um, and I think there's a, there's, there's a very basic principle here, which is, um, no, not everybody, two, two principles actually. No, not everybody has access to the White House, but it's up to the news organizations, not up to the White House, to decide which reporters cover them. We talked about this a little yesterday. You can't say to CNN, Okay, you got a press pass. Now, here's the person we want you to give the press pass to. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. And the other principle is, which has been, by the way, there is a Supreme Court case on this, that the White House cannot just arbitrarily or capriciously deny somebody a press pass because they don't like their reporting. Uh, they ha- there has to be a serious reason for doing so. And on the White House's part, they started out, remember, by saying, um, that uh, Jim Acosta attacked this uh, intern, grabbed her. Um, they put out a doctored video to try to prove that. It did not prove it, and they were really caught red-handed with the doctored video. Uh, so then they said, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, changed her tune and said, well, the reason we're taking a press, he took his press pass away is because he would not surrender the microphone. And then other people said, hey, he was asking a question. It was a tough question. Like, so what? So then she changed her tune again and said they took his press pass away because of bad behavior 
uh, at the news conference. The judge yesterday asked the White House attorney and said, wait a minute, your story keeps changing. Sarah Huckabee Sanders keeps changing why you took the press pass away. Uh, And the attorney, I love this, the attorney replied to the judge that it didn't matter what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. Whatever she said was irrelevant and no longer the operating rationale in this case. So the White House attorney throws Sarah Huckabee Sanders under the bus saying she doesn't know what she's talking about. This thing uh, will be decided today. Uh, You can put your money on the fact that the judge is going to say they got to give Jim Acosta his press pass back. Hey, we've got lots lots more going on, and uh, we will uh, take a quick break. Ginger Gibson joins us from Reuters. Uh, Coming up next, uh, lots to talk about on the uh, Mueller front and uh, the Mark Whitaker front. And all your comments, again, coming in on Twitter, at BP Show. Thursday, November 15, Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Thursday, November 15, uh, it is the Bill Press Show. Here we are. We start out in Washington, D.C., but we end up right alongside of you, wherever you are in this great land of ours. Thank you for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and out there in the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. It is cold weather. It is it was 37 when I came in. That's cold for Washington, D.C. Uh, and it is snowing in Washington, D.C. I wouldn't think of going anywhere in this kind of weather without, write this, without one of these beautiful Carol Press hand-woven scarves like I'm wearing today. It's that time of year when you ought to think about uh, yourself and staying warm and also about maybe holiday gifts for somebody that you love. Can't do better than a hand-woven scarf, each one of them a work of art. There are lots of different colors and patterns to choose from. Uh, go to our website at BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves, pictures of her there uh, in her studio, and also uh, all kinds of different uh, scarves that you might want to choose from, either bamboo or rayon chenille. Uh, check it out, BillPressShow.com. Link Carol Press Scarves. Do yourself a favor. Uh, you will love every one of these scarves. And joining us in studio... She needs a good scarf of her own here. Uh, Ginger Gibson uh, from Reuters covers politics and uh, across the board, uh, justice issues, political issues for Reuters. Good to see you, Ginger. Thanks for coming in. Good to be here. I'm going to check in with Peter and uh, with our listeners and viewers so far this morning, weighing in on the news of the day. Yes, indeed. Lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, Mm -hmm. at BP Show. So first of all, I just have to throw this out because we've gotten a couple of different comments. Uh Uh-oh who think that the arrest of Michael Avenatti for domestic abuse is all a setup by Republicans. I'm just going to read these. Again, these are not endorsements. I'm just reading. I report. You decide. Bab says, Bill, you're just another liberal doing the Republicans' hatchet job for them. I don't know why Avenatti would make himself ubiquitous with this in his background. Retaliation for Kavanaugh. Me too. Harassing Trump. Also, uh... Sue wonders, how much was this woman paid and who paid for this stunt? (laughs) Which is exactly what the Republicans ask about the 19 women who sued Donald Trump, right? True. 
I'm not I saying think that you I, guys are falling into a trap. Yeah, I, I look. This is pretty believable, if you ask me. Okay. Also, uh, you talked about the Trump administration continuing to Pardon throw. Me, I just want to point. Out, I said I believe him that sure. he didn't do it, but I point out it's not the best place to launch a presidential campaign right. outside the jail where you just got released. After being charged with domestic abuse. Uh, on your, uh, You were just talking about how the Trump administration continues to throw <laughs> other Trump administration officials under the bus. KG says, if I worked, to Trump, wor- worked for Trump, I would not walk near any buses at all. <laughs> and on his idea that people were voting, going out and changing, oh, I, and then going back and voting again. Yes, Phil a different hat, different put, shirt. Yeah. Phil says Trump has already pretended to be his own public. Trump has already pretended to be his own publicist, so I can absolutely see him putting on a disguise to vote twice, too. Remember John Barron? Yes. yes. His, the the made-up publicist, which was actually Donald Trump. Anyway, if you have a comment on any topic at any time, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Right. Uh, so, Ginger, just uh, picking up on that, speaking of people who've been thrown under the bus— um, it's not just Donald Trump that's throwing him under the bus. It's the first lady. Yes, highly unusual to see uh, any first lady uh, and, and this first lady who's not been involved in any East Wing operations, uh, really. West Wing. West Wing operations, only in the East Wing operations. Yeah. Um, really sort of going after a staffer and advocating for her to get fired. Uh, and Donald Trump uh, recently said, "Yeah, he's going to be. She's going to be fired." Now we learn that she has. She, so she's the again the deputy national security advisor brought in by John Bolton. She's been there seven months, um, and now we learn that she's been reassigned. Correct. We don't know. Do we know where? I don't. I, I don't know where she's going to go elsewhere in the administration. She has a history in commerce. She has worked on trade. Um, there are other <laughs> agencies that she has been a part of. Um, and we also saw reporting today, not my reporting, but others, uh, that Trump became mad that Melania publicly yes. weighed in, uh, asserting that he made uh, he was made to look like a like a whipped husband uh, by by relenting to her call. So uh, it, you can't win for losing here. I think uh, for. for <laughs> so he's in a funk. We've been told he's really in a funk since the midterms. Every day the news gets worse and worse for him. The big bragging that he did about a total victory uh, the morning after shows to be totally false. And that he's mad at everybody. Now he's mad at her, too. Right. 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 Tweeting this morning about Mueller and the Mueller investigation. I was just going to say, yes, he did. He's been on a wild tweet storm this morning uh, about how well, how conflicted he talks about, I, I just pulled up one of them. Uh, first of all, he said, the inner workings, this is 25 minutes ago, the the inner workings of the Mueller investigation are a total mess. They have found no collusion and have gone absolutely nuts. They are screaming at people. They're screaming and shouting at people, horribly threatening them to come, come up with answers they want. They are a disgrace to our nation and don't whatever. They don't care how many lives they ruin. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. That's what he says. Now, what is that? I love about? how he, again, ends, ends that second tweet by saying, a total witch hunt, in all caps, by the way, a total witch hunt like no other in American history. He just keeps coming back to the witch hunt. Right. Which right. worked out really well for but Richard Nixon. this idea that they're screaming at people and shouting at people and demanding they give them answers. I would want to know how he knew that since... Uh, he's not supposed to know what the special investigator's office is doing. Um, so that would be a great question to know how he would know that if that were true. First of all, I don't believe it. Well, there's that. I, I, there is that. 
I think that's on the par with the car and changing their disguise and then going back in and voting again, right? Correct. Um, you have to say that. But if he did know it uh, or if he was told that, who else but Matt Whitaker, right? I mean, that's one of the uh, uh, the uh, fears that people have raised is that Matt Whitaker over the investigation is a total pipeline to Donald Trump and will tell Donald Trump everything that Mueller has, everything he's looking at, every, every avenue he's pursuing, you know, he'll be just like an open book to Donald Trump, who is, let's face it, no matter how much he denies it, he's still the target of this investigation. You know, I talk to folks who have watched this this investigation and others unfold, and they say there's inevitably going to be some overlap between a president and his cabinet and an investigation into the president and his associates, um, that that's sort of almost unavoidable in some situations, um, that the president wouldn't put someone in that position that he doesn't trust or didn't wasn't able to talk to. Um, but there is more layers of this than just that. Um, I talked uh, to Sam Clovis, who was President oh. Trump's um, Well, camp- he's the guy that got Whitaker the job. Well, when he talked, when I talked to him, he, he said other folks were lobbying uh, on Matt's behalf. But he did say that Matt was a very good friend. Uh, he said that the two had been very good friends for a long time uh, and that he thought he was uniquely qualified for the job. Um, and that during the 2016 campaign, um, Sam Clovis, who was running Trump's Iowa operations and then became his co-chair, was talking regularly as a sounding board uh, with Matt Whitaker. So these two have a long relationship and have known each other for a long time. And ethics experts tell me that's an issue, especially since Clovis uh, was running part of the campaign and uh, has been brought in as a, as a witness in front of the grand jury. There is a move uh, on the part of uh, Jeff Flake and, and Chris Coons, Arizona, Delaware, uh, to um, get a bill passed that would provide a little protective cocoon around Robert Mueller to prevent the president from doing what we all know that he would like to do which is to fire him. Our guess would prevent um, Matt Whitaker from firing him, too. Uh, Jeff Coons yesterday speaking on uh, the legality of uh, Whitaker's appointment. So it wasn't as if they just leapfrogged over the deputy. They took this investigation from him and gave it to somebody who has not received Senate confirmation. That does not seem constitutional to me. Is it? It's a great question, and I think that we saw the Justice Department try to argue yesterday that it was. Um, This is going to get litigated. Big big (laughs) surprise. Yeah, right. The Justice Department, headed by Matt Whitaker, comes out with a statement that Matt Whitaker is legally appointed. Right. Uh, I think we're going to see this litigated. I think we're going to see it litigated on a variety of fronts. Um, Lawyers currently engaged in ACA um, litigation with the federal government are starting to contend that Whitaker's name shouldn't appear on the top of lawsuits, um, and they're going to fight and get judges to rule that way. We're going to see other opposition directly related to Mueller if he were to try uh, to change anything in the Mueller investigation. Uh, Jeff Flake has to move very quickly. He's only a United States senator for about six more weeks. Um, and then his alliance with Coons um, doesn't doesn't amount to much. Uh, right. We could see someone else maybe take his place uh, if a Mitt Romney or a Susan Collins, who's up for reelection in two years, Susan Collins has uh, decided to step in. Uh, but uh, there's a there's a ticking timeline uh, on on Jeff Flake's ability to, to do anything, saying yesterday that he would not vote for judicial nominees to try to exert some pressure. Right. Um, but the problem with Jeff Lake is we've seen him 
talk tough before and then totally, totally fold when it comes to a vote. People who are running for president do things that they don't uh, otherwise do. Well, that's so. true. So maybe he would change now that he's uh, out of the Senate and running for president, huh? Maybe, maybe. Uh, but, you know, uh, Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, he, he'll, no matter what he says, what he'll always be identified as her husband. But it is uh, worth noting that she's the top counselor to pres- the president, and George Conway is emerging as one of the most vocal critics, certainly among the Republican Party, uh, members of the Republican Party, and among conservative attorneys. Uh, he says that Matt Whitaker is there. De- it's definitely illegal. It's unconstitutional. And that everything he says is invalid. Correct. I mean, that's that means that every decision he makes could be challenged on those grounds. You have to remember that that's f- much far-reaching than the things we pay attention to. The Justice Department is doing hundreds of things a day. Yes, yes, um, right. And, and that's where we're going to also see That's what opposition. I mean, across the board. Correct. You know, whether it's voter suppression or whether it's criminal justice reform or all the stuff that they're involved in. Regulations, rule writing, um, all of the things that companies pay a good deal of attention to um, and and doesn't affect most of our day-to-day lives could be could be impacted here. Right. Uh, you've been working on some other stuff as well. Um, I'm uh, taking a look on your with your political hat on uh, to and we saw this yesterday, um, the gains among women. Uh, in the United States Congress, the Congress will never look the same again. It will never. I mean, we see 100 women in the United States House, which is just remarkable. Uh, There are uh, women going to be taking over committees. There's going to be women. uh, Right now, in the Republican-controlled House, there was only one committee chair, and she ran the House Administration Committee. Um, We are now going to see women running quite a bit more. Um, And I think that we're also going to see women um, in places, you know, historically, we, we put women in little boxes and we say, you're going to be on the education committee yeah. and you're yeah. going to be on yeah. the administration committee. We have two former female CIA agents uh, coming into the Congress, uh, women whose expertise are in military, uh, who have foreign policy expertise. Uh, there's not going to be any boxing women up and well, putting them in a little pi- pilots. Correct. Veterans. I mean, yeah, I mean, very, very impressive credentials. Um, not not going to be able to put them over in the House Administration Committee and say, there you go. Make sure the lights mm-hmm. get turned on tomorrow. Um, it's going to be uh, a, a much wider range of women involved in, in quite a bit more policy. Uh, I saw somewhere this morning that, so they did their class photo yesterday of all the incoming uh, members of Congress. It's huge, huge. And uh, someone took the photo and uh, photoshopped it Right. To um, highlight all the women, to put them all like in bright colors. Yeah. And then they had another photo where they highlighted all the men, you know, and the, and the women were sort of like in gray. And it was pretty remarkable. The women were just, yeah, over 100. Vastly outnumber the men. And you look, someone I saw circulating on social media, a picture of all the Republicans coming in and all the Democrats coming in. And you look at the Republicans, it's still mostly men. There's one woman in their freshman class. And the Democrats are just a cross-section. They are men, they're women. Uh, overwhelmingly women, though, they are uh, a variety of ethnic backgrounds. Uh, there's the first Palestinian-American woman. There's the first Somali-American woman. There'll be the first woman who wears a headscarf uh, in Congress. Um, there's quite a bit of, of, of first happening um, on, in, in that group. And, and for that reason, uh, really a historic class coming in. No, uh, the diversity, as we've talked about so many times, is just astounding. I mean, in addition to the first two Native American women, the first two Latinas ever elected from Texas, the first African-American women elected from Massachusetts and Connecticut. I mean, you can go on and on. Right, right. right. 
As a Hispanic woman from Texas, I'm always shocked to hear that one. That one always surprises me. No, me me. too. When I saw that, I said, no, that can't be right. Right. Yeah. But it is the first two. And two, and I think that's the other remarkable thing. Um, We were talking, we could have the first black woman from New England. You could have the first Hispanic woman from Texas. And instead of one, they got two. Um, There are two Hispanic women from Texas. There are two African-American women from New England. So uh, remarkable, really. Right. Uh, And you know that their their priorities... um, the legislation that they'll be working on, I mean, it's going to be different than we've seen. And by the way, at the same time, the Republican number number of Republican women in Congress has shrunk this year to down to 13, I believe. You right? know, I'm always remiss to say that women do anything different than men. I think they legislate <laughs> the same way. I think uh, they're good actors and they're bad Just actors. Better. Just um, better. But we do have some research that tells us that in legislators, especially in the first wave of women that show up or the first big waves uh, of women and then the second big wave of women do in fact legislate different uh, than their male counterparts that has happened in other places. Um, and I think the other thing we need to remember is it's not just Congress, it is state houses as well. Um, and when you talk to folks like Emily's List who train women to run for public office, um, they have seen unprecedented levels of city council and mm-hmm. school boards, and those are the women who are going to run for Congress and Senate in 10 and 15 right. years. Ginger Gibson with us from Reuters. It's Reuters.com. Isn't it Reuters? It's Reuters. What's the full name, Reuters? We're Reuters, and then our company, our parent company is Thompson Reuters. Thompson Reuters, right. right. Okay. But still, Reuters.com. So Reuters.com will get you the news, yes. All right. All right. There you go. Um, uh, so many people have seen, there have been several people at least, who... Um, with her eye on 2020, uh, I've said, hey, gee, I did so well in uh, 2018 that I'm now the front runner for 2020. I mean, you know, A.B. Klobuchar said that. I, th- I saw Kirsten Gillibrand on Morning Joe yesterday is kind of making the same. That may be a little cuter, like I'm going to talk to my family over the holidays about it, but they all think 2018 propelled them into the front ranks. Did it propel anybody into the front ranks? I have to tell you, Amy Klobuchar, what may have propelled her into some of the front ranks was her role in the Judiciary Committee. I was with her in Rochester, Minnesota, while she was stumping. Uh, She was talking about uh, voter security and securing the voting machines, and she mentioned that she was on the Judiciary Committee, and applause erupted. Uh, And she started joking. I said, oh, yeah, I guess everyone knows I'm on that committee now. Um, And and a nod to her uh, role in the Kavanaugh uh, uh, confirmation hearings. I do think that the country's going to look at a lot of these people. Um, did you win your almost unopposed 2018 election? Sure. That means that you can uh, run a campaign. Um, but, you know, we have to remember that um, the voters of Iowa and New Hampshire are well known for taking a look at folks who might not be as well known. Um, and all of those people who hold office, who have um, some bit of name recognition are, are going to register there. Well, so let's look on the Republican side first. Uh, the Hill yesterday had a poll showing that 70% of Americans say Donald Trump should have a challenger. They want to see a challenger to Donald Trump in the primary in 2020. We mentioned him earlier. Who's that going to be? Is so it only Jeff Flake? Our exit poll on Election Day found yeah. that 65% of Republicans think Donald Trump should be the nominee. Um, so we have to remember that he still has quite a good deal of support so, within his own party. Um, it, you know, it's further evidence that the Republican Party we knew is gone. Today, it's the party of Trump. So let me tell you. It's Ken- not the party of Lincoln. It's I the think party is- of Trump. 
I, I think this is the, what the Republican Party has been for a long, long That's time. True. Donald it's, Trump has just spoken it into existence. Yeah. They were very good it's at saying the quiet part. It's certainly been moving quiet. in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, now it's there, full yeah. time. Yeah. It is the part, and that is, I mean, just think of the consequences of it, but that's true. It is the party of Donald Trump. So I'll tell you that John Kasich is probably the the one to watch. Uh, I know he's meeting with strategists uh, in early states, um, and they make the case to me that it's not impossible um, that uh, Bush had that kind of support coming out of his first midterm, and Pat Buchanan took a dent out of him in the primary, uh, and maybe did uh, only to succeed in making sure he didn't win the general, which mm-hmm. could be some mm-hmm. uh, goal of some Republicans in the yeah. primary process. Uh, don't count that out. Um, Kasich, I'm also told uh, by some former aides, could run as an independent, and we shouldn't take that option off of the table. Anyone who is going to make a serious campaign as an independent uh, and really try to win some votes would need to start now. Uh, you got to get ba- ballot qualified. you got to get on the ballot in all 50 states. Um, you can't wait until six months before Election Day to do it if you want to be serious. So we could see Kasich try to mount. You know what else, you know what else you need, which he doesn't have? A lot of money. A lot of money. You need a lot of money. Ross Perot could do it. Michael Bloomberg could do it. J.B. Pritzker, I just saw this morning, he spent like, I don't know, millions and millions of dollars on his race. Right. He's governor of Illinois. Right. He could do it. John Kasich doesn't have that kind of money. He doesn't have that kind of money. He does have that kind of media attention. Um, And that is the one thing he would- Not the same. same, but he could try to use. Um, and, and And that's why- if you wanted to be serious and you didn't, you weren't independently wealthy, you would have to start now. You would have to start really early on. Um, you'd have to, I mean, just getting on the ballot in all the states would be very that's difficult. The, that's the challenge. Um, yes. As even Ross Perot discovered. And and so watch what he does. Uh, Jeff Flake, there's a lot of speculation that Jeff Flake um, could run as sort of a principled conservative. If you've read his book, that's how he talks. Um, that's what he thinks is missing in the Republican Party. He was quite conservative before uh, in, in the roles he played before he came to the Senate. And he was still quite conservative in the Senate. I don't think he ever stopped being quite conservative. Um, and and then Ben Sass out of Nebraska, um, who could also make a run in whose name gets tossed around a lot, although doesn't have quite the same uh, level of, of built up infrastructure that I think we're seeing among Kasich um, already. Uh, and on the Democratic side, there are so many, starting with Michael Avenatti, of course, um, who are running, but uh, are talking about running. Um, who Who's head of the pack? I wrote up a scorecard yesterday and I had 24 names on it. Um, oh God! <laughs> so there's there's going to be a, quite a few of them. Um, That's a big stage. Uh, well, no, they don't put 24 on a stage. Bring back I mean, the JV debates. Hey, well, two no, JV no, no. debates. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're going to. I'm telling you, varsity, JV, and middle school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all three. Uh, or maybe they have Madison Garden. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, right. just Madison the whole Square thing. Garden, right. We'll, we'll have three hour long debates just to allow all of them <laughs> to answer two questions. Um, I would say Joe Biden is probably everyone's. Um, early front runner. If he runs, he would immediately become a front runner. Um, any members of the Senate um, are going to have some an easy start. And then we have to talk about the governors. Um, we talked about Amy Klobuchar and Kristen Gillibrand. We'd add Cory Booker and Kamala Harris to that list in the Senate. Um, 
Steve Bullock in Montana, Jay Inslee in Washington. I think he's a dark horse that everyone should be paying attention to. Um, those guys, former governors, keep in mind Mitt Romney was no longer governor when he was the nominee in 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So don't rule out people like Deval <coughs> Patrick uh, of Massachusetts. Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe. Um, his was staff, he on your list? He was on my list. His staff tells me, uh, former staff tells me they're waiting to see what kind of decision he makes. So absolutely. Uh, former governors, current governors, people who wish they were governor, people who wake up in the mirror and say, I could be president. Uh, all of them. All John of Delaney. Them. John Delaney. From John Maryland. Delaney is running. Eric Swalwell in the House. We're going to see him uh, run as well. Uh, Tim I d- Ryan is thinking of running. Tim Ryan is thinking of running. I don't know how well a uh, California Democrat who's in his 30s is going to do or early 40s, but he's going to try. Um, uh, all of those folks are going to be in Iowa here or have been in Iowa. And Beto O'Rourke. And Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> if he doesn't get made speaker. Yeah, I'm not kidding. He's not going to be speaker. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Man, you, you run fast and keep up with all those gingers. Really good. Lots of fun to have you in today. Thanks so much. Glad to yeah. be here. Uh, and someone coming up with a big vote coming up, too. Congressman John Garamendi from California's 3rd Congressional District joins us next. Are we going to investigate or cooperate in the House? We'll find out. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, the blue wave keeps growing. It looks like two more Democratic seats called today. By my count, I think that's a pickup of 36 seats. Who says it wasn't a blue wave? Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Thursday, November 15. Uh, This is The Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., uh, last time I checked, it was still our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're experiencing uh, first signs of winter today with a little sleet, a little snow, that storm that started out yesterday in Arkansas and Mississippi and Tennessee and Louisiana uh, coming up the coast. And we're getting our share of it right now. Uh, but, you know, neither rain nor snow nor sleep stop us. The rain may stop Donald Trump from doing what he should have done in Paris, but uh, we are still on the job despite the rain and the snow, and we're joined by another man who's always on the job, (laughs) never slows down, a good friend from California's 3rd Congressional District, Congressman John Garamendi. Pleasure to be with you. Congressman, it's great to see you. Always. We go back a long ways and good friends for a long time. (laughs) Long time. Long time. And these are uh, interesting days, shall we say, huh? Uh, Yeah, let the days be interesting. But change is occurring. Obviously, the weather's changing here in in Washington D.C., but we're going to change what's gone on in this nation's capital and in about politi- t- two months from now. Yeah, and the political landscape yeah. has changed yeah. big time as of uh, 
as of Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, yeah. uh, already uh, over a week, and we still don't know the results of all of them. But we're going to take a quick break here to get the, the uh, uh, full-court press from Peter. But we want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day. Don't forget, just push Donald Trump. He's been on Twitter all morning long. Push him aside. You take over Twitter. Send us your comments at BP Show. But first... This is the full court press. In mind here. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, you were just talking about social media, Bill. Uh, One of the things that uh, one of the one of the things that people are doing is taking a break from social media. In fact, sixty-eight percent of Americans say that they have either quit or taken a break from social media this year. That is according to the Pew Research Center. I think that's about right. I don't believe I'm su- it. I'm surprised it's. I'm surprised it's not a little higher. I don't believe it. Oh, I 100 percent believe it. Really? Yeah, I, I've taken a, a noticeable break from social media. I, like I don't post on Facebook at all anymore. Uh, I don't check Twitter nearly as much as I used to. I'll just sometimes I'll just delete Twitter off of my phone. You still text me. I text you, but I don't tweet. I don't tweet. That's he just took tweet. his own survey. 100%. Yeah, right. yes, exactly. That's exactly. That's right. 68% of All people right. say that they are getting okay. off of it altogether because they just say it's too much these days. It's just too much. And especially some of these crazy people like you, Bill, who have notifications for when the president tweets. It causes a lot of anxiety and stress and things like that. And so they, people are finding that. Not only is it bad for your mental health, but also you look at what Facebook has done with the fake news. And, you know, there was another story yesterday about how they have sort of tried to fight back against the fake news stuff by just beating up on their social media opponents. Uh, It is true that at the ungodly hour that I get up, the first thing I do is grab my phone. I look and inevitably there are two or three tweets already from Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my wake up call. That's what a way to wake up to Hey, 2018 has been a crazy year. Uh, The Oxford Dictionary put out its word of the year. Its word of the year. To sum up 2018. What word best describes 2018? The word is? Congressman. Do you have any idea? Trump word. (laughs) It is. The word is? Toxic. <laughs> it as is a Trump word. It is a Trump word. As it's defined, it is poisonous, but they say that because the word toxic is used to describe a vast array of things, situations, concerns, and events, that that makes it absolutely the word of the year. It, Sounds about right. It sort of sums up a lot of stuff. I, I would it? bet interesting. Oh. <laughs> Meaning both good and bad. Good and bad, yeah. right. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll talk more about this. There may be some Republicans who are thinking that's the right word when it comes to uh, Donald Trump. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Thursday, November 15, uh, the Bill Press Show. Here we go. Good to see you today. Thanks so much for being part of the program as we uh, boom out to you live coast to coast. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on television on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and also on the radio in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. 
the new governor, J.B. Pritzker, out in Chicago, and a great lineup of uh, good Democrats there. One good Democrat also from Virginia, uh, California, what am I saying? Joining us here in studio, longtime friend representing California's 3rd Congressional District, Congressman John Garamendi. Uh, Congressman, um, last Tuesday, Donald Trump said it was a total victory for the Republican Party. When you look at the House, it doesn't look that way, does it? He has a strange definition of victory. Yeah. Because he got wiped out. The election was very, very much about Donald Trump and really about what the Republicans have done to the American people. And they were rejected, flat out rejected. We'll probably be very close to 40 seats. Mm -hmm. Got some more seats in California that are coming in our direction. Orange County may be totally blue. Now, Bill, you and I have been around a while <laughs> in California, and we know Orange County. It was red. You couldn't even get—a Democrat couldn't get a visa to go to Orange County. Uh, no, no. I, I was mentioning earlier uh, that, do you remember, we used to call it going behind the Orange Curtain. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. John Wayne country. I mean, the oh, yeah. reddest part of California. Well, it was Richard Nixon and then yeah. uh, Reagan, and that's where they drew their strength. And then from there, it metastasized Mm-hmm. So, so the the latest uh, from that part of the world, we we saw that Dana Rohrbacher, uh, a long time, he's been there, 20s. Putin's congressman. Putin's congressman. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I mean, in a real, very real in way. In a very real way, absolutely. Um, uh, lost his seat, um, and now Mimi Waters has lost her seat to Katie Porter. That's right. the last one that the Cook, uh, the Cook political report called this morning. Uh, and in addition to that, um, yesterday in New Jersey's third district, Tom right. MacArthur, Republican, down and um, um, blanking on his name, uh, Andy Kim, Kim. Andy, Kim, young Kim, or they call yeah. him Andy Kim, is the new Democratic right. congressman from uh, New Jersey's third, which I think Congressman gets us up to thirty-six, where there's still some six or so. I think that was the last Republican in New Jersey. Yes, in the Congress. Yeah. I think the right. entire state now is blue. Mm-hmm. This right. is a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And Orange County is probably going to be blue. There won't be a Republican Congress member from Orange County by the time this is finished. So that that really gets us up to the, these are the biggest Democratic gains since the days of Watergate. So I exactly. mean, it really is a statement that people wanted some checks and balances on Donald Trump. But I th- I agree with you. He made this election about himself. Him. Hmm? He publicly stated that, and most everyone of his rallies about me vote for X Y Z congressman or senator. Because you're voting for me. Well, people didn't want that. Now, the Senate seats are different. You take a look at the Senate seats, still undecided. Florida, yeah. we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've got a clear rejection and across e- the nation right. in districts. E- even in the Senate, as we pointed out, that uh, the margin, is that Republicans will pick up one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Donald Trump tri- triumphed uh, again that in that news conference. They were going to have fifty-five at least. Well, they're not. I mean, so it was not a it, 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 given the impossible map the Democrats had. It's amazing, well, we, it came out the way it did. Fortunate to be where we are. Yeah. Uh, we were going to carry North Dakota. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a state that has uh, two-thirds the population of a congressional district, and obviously very, very conservative to begin with. Uh, and they tried to play a game up there to even prevent the uh, Native Americans from voting. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they did. Yeah, they, they did to... it. But the Native Americans said, wait a minute, you can't do that to us. So they turned out in higher numbers than ever before. Right. Even with all of the uh, impediments that were put before them. All right. So now the question now the question keeps being raised by people. OK, you Democrats now have control of Congress. And so you've got all this power 
and you're just going to ruin it because you're just going to go out there and attack Donald Trump and hold all kinds of investigations and turn people against you. None other than John Thune. Now, he's a person that Democrats don't usually turn to, to advice, for advice. But yesterday, he issued this warning, Congressman. We hope that they will decide that they want to play a constructive role and put up a record of legislative accomplishment uh, rather than spending uh, all their time launching investigations. Yeah. So what's your take? What direction are the Democrats going to take in the House? Well, first of all, if you're a criminal, you don't want somebody to investigate you. Now, I'm not suggesting there's any (laughs) criminal activity, but uh, if you've done something wrong, you don't want investigations. And so, of course, the Republicans are going to say they don't want investigations. But there's also a lot of truth in what he said. And that is we've got to deal with the issues that we ran on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of it was uh, to block the excesses of the current administration, everything from uh, EPA, the Department of Interior, the president himself, all of that. And there is a constitutional responsibility for Congress to provide the oversight and to be uh, a check on the administration. It's in the Constitution. Right. We'll you, do that. You, you appropriate the money, and then you do oversight to make sure that the money is well spent. That's and that's exactly Serving correct. the American people. That Let's, is your job, and, and yeah, I'm supposed to do that. Yeah. And yeah. it was set up for that, and we'll do that. But that's just half of it. The other half of it is the problems of America, the health care issue. We will absolutely put out legislation to strengthen the Affordable Care Act. This election was very, very much about that. A lot of talk, appropriately so, about the Republican effort 63, 67 times to repeal the Affordable Care Act, including the guarantee that whatever pre-existing conditions you had, you could get insurance at a reasonable cost. Mm-hmm. Republicans tried to do away with that. Now they scrambled back at the end and said, oh, no, we didn't do it. Well, I know, but they're still in court trying to get rid of it. That's true. Yeah, so that's true. they're still well, trying to get you rid You know, of it. they learned to lie from the president. <laughs> Yeah. And so here we are. Uh, We will do that uh, and we'll strengthen it. Uh, The Medicaid program, which is the Medicaid expansion across the nation, that needs to be shored up. Uh, There are other things, the drug costs. Why would, how can we allow the drug companies just in the last five years to quadruple in some cases and even in other cases, a tenfold increase in a cost of drug that seven or eight years ago was 10% of the price it is today? Those kind of drug cost issues we can deal with, and we will. The environmental issues, there's a whole series of things we need to do on climate change. Uh, Stop the current administration from continuing Mm -hmm. to eviscerate the environmental laws, the clean air laws, uh, the climate change uh, laws. We can stop that, and we can strengthen uh, the move towards renewable energy. Those are things that we can do, and we will. Will they get through the Senate? We're going to put a lot of pressure on them, Mm -hmm. and we'll see. Yeah. With the president sign it, he'll have even more pressure. Right, uh, you know, and you got to you got to think that they've got to ha- uh, have their eyes on twenty twenty and want to rack up some accomplishments as well. One would one would hope. Infrastructure is another one that I know that you're exactly very right. involved with. Exactly. And, uh, uh, so, and by the way, I just have to say, when Republicans complain about all oh, Democrats, we have too many investigations. You know, I just have one word: Benghazi. <laughs> well, there are others along the same ilk. Yeah. I mean, they spent their entire time on investigations. Hillary's emails. How many? Here well, they want to go back and do it again. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Well, let's talk about the Republican emails. Let's talk about uh, WikiLeaks. We could talk about the Russian investigation. We could spend all of our time in that. We'll do what's necessary to hold the president and the administration accountable. 
But we've got legislation that we want to do and we will do. Uh, what is your take on and, and how do you feel about if you look at and I saw that class picture yesterday, mm-hmm. the new members of the House of Representatives, uh, including over 100 women. Yeah. Uh, more diversity, more women, more people of color, and younger than we've ever seen before. Uh, what's that mean to you? It's thrilling. It is absolutely thrilling. Now, I'm the father of five daughters, and I'm going, this is wonderful. This is so cool that we have all of these women. It's just not that they're females, and they certainly are, but they are extraordinarily qualified. They are military uh, colonels and captains and flying jet airplanes and helicopters uh, in the Army, in the Air Force, Navy, uh, a Navy combat mm-hmm. captain, a, a combat ships, very, very well qualified. And uh, Native Americans, Hispanics, all, all, the, all of America is represented in these women. And, of course, women are there now. About uh, half of, more than half of our caucus mm-hmm. will be women and uh, people of color and LGBTQ. I mean, they're all there. We're, we're America. We're Democrats. We're America. And we're representing America. And the Congress, I mean, it really has changed uh, the balance of power, of course, um, with Democrats taking over the House, but changed the nature and the character of the Congress. It'll never be or look the same again, isn't That's it? That's good. Right? That's good. Now, yeah. you know, I'm one of those white guys, and I'm not opposed to white guys, but I am absolutely delighted to see the diversity. I'm delighted to see the women there. They bring a perspective of family. They bring a perspective that, you know, men go off to war, fine. Not fine, but that's... But women look at these things differently in a way that is extraordinarily important uh, for America to have that perspective of a female um, family, uh, the, the values, just the ethics of a woman tend to be different from men. And we need that. We really need that. And then the question is, of course, uh, yet to be resolved, uh, who is going to lead the Democrats uh, in, in, the, in the Congress? Um, we have one candidate, uh, Nancy Pelosi. I think she's a woman. Uh, she, yes. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, and she's been there before. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a, a group of uh, disgruntled Democrats and some of the new members who said they would never vote for her for speaker. So let me just ask you first, um, are you for Nancy? Absolutely. I've Why? Known, she is the most effective leader I have seen in my lifetime. I've seen presidents. I've worked with presidents. Bill Clinton, we are part of his administration. Uh, certainly we saw Barack Obama. But in terms of effective leadership, this woman is extraordinary. Uh, the legislative successes that occurred following the great meltdown in 2007, 8, 9, that was basically Nancy Pelosi. She was the speaker. She led that, uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act, the Dodd-Frank legislation, the Recovery Act, all of those things moved out of the House of Representatives with her leadership. And she has continued through the tough times uh, to continue to lead. This blue wave was very much her wave. She had the strategy. She raised the money. She put together the team, an extraordinary team of members that put it together, Ben Ray Lujan and others that were part of that team, and motivated them. And together they directed this extraordinary blue wave. And they created the change that the insurgents or the renegades, as I call them, Mm -hmm. uh, good people, all, uh, they want change. Well, she made the change happen. Yeah. So what do you say to the young people coming in who's uh, like – um, Ayanna Presley, I think her name is Ayanna Presley from uh, Connecticut, who just says, 
um, you know, change can't wait, right? Yeah, we really we, we need change, but another two years, another four years? No, we want change now. Well, what change are we talking about? You're talking about changing the face of the leadership, or you're talking about changing the face of Congress and the uh, legislative progress and uh, work of Congress. Nancy Pelosi is change. She has she made change back when she was a speaker, and she brought about the change that we now have. So she changed from a Republican Congress to a Democratic Congress. Uh, if you want a different face, well, okay, what does that face bring? Does that face bring the experience? Does that new change bring uh, the ability to negotiate with the Senate or with uh, Trump? Well, the names that I have heard, the answer would be, no, they're not nearly as skilled, they're not nearly as uh, driven, or would be as successful in creating the change that the American public wants, health care, environment, all of those uh, infrastructure. Your colleague, uh, can you, uh, Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan, uh, was yeah. here with us uh, yesterday, and uh, also a Pelosi supporter. One of the, as am I, one of the um, points he made was, uh, so far, nobody has declared against her, and he said, it does make you question what kind of leadership they would show if they're well, not willing to stand up and say, I'm running yet, right? So as of, I, I saw this morning, 17 Democrats have said that there are no votes. You need more votes than that, but it also there's no one opponent yet well, announced. The, the, the story right. around Washington forever and I suspect even back when uh, we had kings and queens was uh, you want to do away with the king? Well, who's going to be the next king? Mm -hmm. So who's going to replace? Uh, there are a couple of names that have been bouncing around, but nobody's out campaigning uh, in any real sense. There are some folks that are offering another person, uh, why don't you run? Well, oh, yeah. okay. But nobody has said that they are there, nor have they spoken of their own capabilities, their own qualities, how they would uh, conduct themselves, how they would have our caucus work. Nobody's done that. Now, Nancy Pelosi clearly has done all of those things. Um, I, I think that uh, ultimately it's not bad to have these kinds of uh, discussions, but at the end of this process, which will be sometime... I was going to ask you about that. The 28th. 28th we of will vote within our caucus on the 28th of November. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's... It's clear to, I think, everybody that Pelosi will carry the day, have an overwhelming majority. In the caucus. In the caucus. Now, then we go to the floor in January, January 3rd, and each of us, 435 of us or whomever is there at that time, has to stand up and say, uh, they'll say, uh, Garamendi. I have to stand up and I have to say, Pelosi. So in mm. front of the cameras, in front of all the colleagues, you stand up and you state who you want. Well, you know, talk is easy before you stand up before the entire nation and state your preference. Now, people have done this from time to time. I've heard names like uh, Abraham Lincoln. Well, you mm. got to vote for somebody that's alive, so that doesn't work. But people will avoid mm -hmm. voting for somebody. Both Democrats and Republicans do this mm -hmm. from time By to time. By throwing another name out Just there. Just throw another yeah. name doesn't have to be a member of Congress to be the speaker. Mm -hmm. Very interesting little quirk in the Constitution. And that has happened in the bygone periods of time. Right. Uh, but it's hard for me to believe that any of these young, newly elected Democrats will stand up and say Kevin McCarthy. Well, if Pelosi does not have a majority of those present and voting, then we go into chaos. And at that point... The Republicans could rally around and could 
totally disrupt what's going on and could elect somebody that is more Republican than Democrat because mm-hmm. they could they've got I don't know a couple 200 votes right. they find uh, 16 17 disaffected Democrats and now they've got a majority and they can elect the speaker do you think there are uh, there would be any willingness on the part of House Democrats to um, work together with or maybe even make a deal with uh, President Trump? And if so, what areas do you, do you think might be possible? I mean, Trump, assuming Trump's it's a, a good deal, right? I mean, obviously, well, you're yeah. not going to give the store away. but Well, start with infrastructure. Trump put together a he said trillion dollar <laughs> infrastructure plan, which was bogus. No new money, just renaming right. existing programs. But nonetheless, he talked about it. And we desperately need infrastructure improvement. I'll give you one example. The city of Paradise had two rural country roads out of town. Didn't work. Didn't work in that disaster. So that is not unique. Uh, There are communities that are isolated, uh, perhaps in a fire, perhaps in a flood situation. So uh, escape routes. Mm -hmm. Just one example. Also, um, Paradise did not have good uh, cellular and broadband communication, and nor does most of rural America. So there's another infrastructure. Could we work with the president on that? Absolutely, we could, and we should. We will. Would he? We'll see. Right. Uh, and there's other. You mentioned prescription drugs earlier, yeah. which is uh, which is certainly another priority. He's yeah. talked about a middle class tax cut, which were it a real middle class tax cut and not another giveaway to the wealthiest of Americans. I would think well, they, Democrats they've say, done the giveaway already. That's right. Yeah, two, yeah. two trillion dollars, yeah. of which eighty-five percent goes to the uh, large corporations and to the super wealthy. It, uh, it, that has to be addressed because we have a huge, very, very serious structural deficit built into our economy right now. Even those of us from California who have experienced um, uh, disastrous fires in the past find it hard to comprehend and imagine you know the, the destruction here utter destruction particularly in the camp fire but also in the Woolsey fire yeah. uh, what's the latest that, that that you hear I mean Butte County it's still I think only 35 percent contained I saw this morning 8650 homes lost 56 dead with 130 still unaccounted for uh, yeah this is a tragedy uh, a horrible tragedy. It's a community that uh, I'm familiar with. Uh, you know, I know many of my supporters live in that community. We're trying to find out if they're, they're, if they're alive. Don't know yet. Um, it, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Um, Bill, you and I know we have the Santa Ana winds in Southern California. They're not called Santa Anas in Northern California, but they're exact same. They're a yeah. north wind, dry wind. Climate change is real. The fire season uh, south of the Tehachapi's and the L.A. Basin is 365 days. There is no day off for the firefighters uh, in Southern California. Northern California, it's easy nine months now, maybe 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, when the rains come, we get a lot of rain. It's warmer. Things grow faster, so the vegetation really grows very fast, and then it gets very, very dry. Climate change is affecting this, and the population is growing, and people are moving into the hinterland. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, we've got to deal with it. We can deal with it with uh, escape routes. We need to be aware. Uh, we need we do need to thin the forest. Fortunately, we passed legislation last spring that allows the Forest Service to have a forest management budget and a firefighting budget. Before all the money went to firefighting, no money went to managing the forest. But these fires are occurring in private property not necessarily in the national forest. I was going to say, so did the president have a point when he said poor forest management? 
is responsible for these fires? Uh, yes and no. Uh, there is certainly poor forest management, no doubt about it. Uh, environmentalists and uh, tree huggers as well as loggers all agree that, uh, yeah, we got to manage these forests better. There's too much biomass. They're overgrown. And that will be taken care of with the new legislation in the national forest. Now, the private forest, uh, that's another matter. Now, yes, that is correct. But these fires that are consuming paradise, uh, California, were not caused by a national forest. They're yeah. not in the national forest. It was different. It was the, uh, the grasslands, the brushlands of California, the chaparral. Uh, true, in, uh, true in Butte County and these urban interface areas, and yeah. certainly true um, in Southern California. In Southern California and yeah. Malibu, which I know very, very well. Sure. And, and there have been fires there before, and it's, it's these grasslands that come right down to the ocean. Well, it's the nature. I was looking at some ancient history of Los Angeles back in the uh, Spanish colonial days. They had fires then, and they would rip through the uh, Santa Ana Mountains, uh, through, uh, through the uh, San Gabriel Mountains, uh, all the all the time, it's never stopped, and it continues. Now the communities are now in the mountains, and so Malibu building up into the mountains. You can see the homes that have been burned. Yeah, you and I have been experiencing this in our careers. It's part of life. Can we deal with it? Um, part of the answer was goats. Interestingly, uh, goats are being employed in the mountains to provide the fire breaks. But when you get a 60-mile-an-hour wind, yeah. that fire will travel two or three miles ahead of the flames. It was burning multiple football fields, you know, a minute, right? Yeah, the exactly. way it was just flowing yeah. through there. Uh, yeah, we drove through the Santa Rosa area the, where that fire took place back in August uh, this summer, and it was just— it was just. Now, that's not a, that's not a, a forest. No, that's not at all. That's an urban fire. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I mean, this was a city neighborhood that we drove through. So you get that—if it gets started in that area— uh, so point. quickly, what's the state of politics in California today? How do you see it? Well, it's democratic. Pretty exciting time, huh? <laughs> Very yeah. exciting time. We have a new governor, Governor Newsom. Um, I think he's going to do well. Uh, the state's in good economic health. We have some extraordinary needs. The education system uh, needs to be paid attention to. Um, Poverty is a very real issue, so income inequality is an mm -hmm. issue there, probably uh, as dramatic there as anywhere in this nation. Uh, and the infrastructure issue. Fortunately, Proposition 6, which would have repealed the gas tax increase, did not pass. So there is state money. If we could get federal money to add to that state money and deal with uh, what is a very, very serious transportation issue in California. By the way, that's really significant. Uh, there hasn't been enough attention, attention, I think, to that. So um, there was a gas tax that was put on to improve infrastructure, right. roads, and transit as well. Exactly. Uh, a couple of years ago, I guess it was 12. Two years. Well, 18 months ago. 12 cents a gallon, right? Some, yes, 12 like cents a gallon. And so there was a measure, I'm not sure everybody knows about this, so there was a measure in California put on the ballot, a referendum. To by the re Republicans, by, the by Republicans, Mr. McCarthy. Yes, right, Mr. To drive McCarthy, the conservative vote. To get Republicans out to vote. That was the whole intention of it. Uh, and everybody thought, well, this is going to be another Prop 13. Or there's no way people are going to vote for higher taxes and the people of California, by a pretty hefty margin, said, no, we need this work, and we're going to continue. We agree to continue to pay this higher gas tax to improve our roads and public infrastructure. And California is not the only state. This has happened in state after state, community after community. When the people know where the money is going to be spent and have confidence that it will be spent reasonably well, they will vote for higher taxes. Yeah. They do it consistently. And California did it. 
we're happy. One thing to keep in mind, it was 12 remarkable, cents. Remarkable, you know, to the credit, credit to the people of California yeah. that they see the need, they're willing to make the sacrifice. They do that both at the statewide level, they do it at the local level also. Mm-hmm. So people, uh, it's not anti-tax. It's, okay, how are we going to spend the money? Are we going to spend it wisely? And that brings us to the work that we need to do in Congress to make sure that we spend money wisely. For example, we don't need more nuclear bombs. But we're going to spend a trillion dollars over the next 15 years to do that. And I'm going, why? Why are we doing that? To make us safer or to make us more dangerous? You know, very quickly on that, because I spoke yesterday, uh, our good friend Joe Cirincione from the Plowshares Fund is a frequent guest on the show. And he had a conference uh, down at the uh, hotel, uh, the Regis, Regis, St. Regis downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on a panel there. And we were talking about the fact that, so here the president says we need to increase our nuclear arsenal tenfold. We got to re- basically yeah. trash arms agreements made with by Ronald Reagan back then and get back into the nuclear arms race. And nobody's talking about it, right? I mean, how do we make this a big number one issue that people are out there marching about nuclear weapons again? Well, I don't know that they will be doing that, but I'll tell you the Congress Armed Services Committee, led by Adam Smith, myself, and a few others, mm-hmm. we're going to take this issue up. And we're going to make this a big issue in the coming year. This arms race has got to be understood by the American public, the dangers that it brings. And unfortunately, the president is in no position to negotiate an arms deal with anybody. But nonetheless, we need to do that. I was thinking of the Mm -hmm. uh, Nunn-Luger efforts back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it may very well be that Congress is going to have to lead that, and I'm certainly going to be part of that effort. All right, great. Adam, Adam Smith, by the way, was the keynote speaker at this conference yesterday. He he's made gonna, that. He's going to change the directions. Made that very point. Hey, Congressman, great work as always, and thanks so much for braving the snow to come in with us this morning. All right. To be with you, it's well worth the <laughs> <of> snow. <laughs> there we go. Congressman John Garamendi, California's third congressional district. When we come back, Zoe Tillman. From a BuzzFeed joins us, the latest on the Mueller investigation. Good to see you, Congressman. Always. Thanks. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go, Thursday, November 15. Uh, how about it? It is the uh, Bill Press Show. And we are joining you, wherever you are in this great land of ours, uh, from our perch here in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building. Where uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer were reelected as the majority and minority leaders in the United States Senate uh, yesterday. Um, why? Uh, at any rate, I would say about both of them. Uh, yeah, with all the uh, all the angst in the House about whether or not Nancy Pelosi is going to be um, brought back as Speaker, which I believe she definitely should. I didn't see anybody stand up and question whether Chuck Schumer should continue to be the Democratic leader of, of, uh, in, the, in the Senate. And I wish somebody had challenged him. Kirsten Sinema, by the way, from Arizona, said she would have considered voting for somebody else if anybody else had run, but nobody did. By the way, it is uh, cold in Washington and snowing uh, as we speak, which is why I am so glad I wore my Carol Press scarf today. Yes, this beautiful scarf one of um, Carol's uh, new creations uh, for this year. I love these electric blues. And um, uh, I'm not the only one that needs a scarf like this. You do, too, for the winter. Check out our website at BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press Scarves. Lots of 
beautiful colors and designs to uh, to choose from, either in bamboo or like this one, very, very warm in rayon chenille. Uh, this is a time of the year when you should be thinking about yourself or for holiday shopping. Uh, someone that you love can't do better than a hand-woven work of art, Carol Press Scarf. BillPressShow.com, follow the link to Carol Press Scarves. And join me in welcoming to the studio, who made it all the way in today without a Carol Press Scarf. We'll have to work on that. Zoe Tillman, who covers the courts and justice for uh, BuzzFeed. Hi, Zoe. Nice to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. Well, so as a member of the White House Correspondents Association, as a former employee and now still frequent guest on CNN, going up to New York to join them tomorrow, uh, I am very interested in the lawsuit that CNN has filed against the White House uh, saying that they improperly yanked the hard pass White House credentials away from CNN senior political uh, White House reporter Jim Acosta. It was in the courtroom yesterday. You were there. I was there. Uh, who is the judge? The judge is U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly. He is a pretty new judge on the court, one of President Trump's nominees for the U.S. District Court. Um, he was a pretty non-controversial nominee, I uh -huh. should say, in the grand scheme of Trump judicial nominees. He got a lot of bipartisan support. I don't think he's seen among sort of the legal world as a you know particularly partisan person. Um, although you know he was nominated by this president, so yeah, that's what we know. Um, but he's new, mm -hmm. and we don't know a whole lot about him. So, so sum up the arguments on either, pardon me, on either side. Uh, CNN, pardon me, saying this was um, an abuse of. The White House powers? Yeah, it's, you know, they're saying that it was unconstitutional, that there is there are First Amendment interests in press access to the White House, that there are also Fifth Amendment due process rights that reporters are supposed to get when it comes to access. So they're arguing that you can't just yank away their credentials for no reason, that there's actually precedent out of this court mm -hmm. um, dating back to the 70s, saying that there needs to be a process by which the White House says this is how you get a pass. Can't be and this capricious is how you lose or arbitrary. Exactly. Um, and then there's a final administrative you know, process act saying that, again, this was arbitrary and capricious. Um, and so the judge heard about two hours of arguments yesterday. It was, and it was the quite a long Trump hearing. White House says? They say that Trump can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Was was really the, was literally the argument yesterday. Well, the that's judge Trump's said, position, right? Yeah, the judge said, you know, do they have to? Can the White House revoke a press pass if they don't like a reporter's coverage? The DOJ lawyer said yes, and he said, so if they that don't like the stories he's writing, you he can throw them out of the White House. He has total discretion. It doesn't. And the judge said, does it matter if there are no written standards for how this is done? And the DOJ lawyer said, no. This is an inherently discretionary decision by the president. And he said, as a hypothetical, the president could exclude all reporters from the White House, and that would be okay. That would be his prerogative to decide. Um, it was, you know, a really sweeping argument. And, you know, I think even if getting into the setting aside the, the constitutional questions and the legal questions, there's a norms issue here where the mm -hmm. DOJ lawyer acknowledged that no reporter has lost a pass in this way ever. But he said just because other presidents have done it one way does not mean this president has to do it that way. So you're telling me that if you're a member of the White House press corps and you write a book called Trump Must Go and the president doesn't like it, 
that he could revoke that person's hard pass? That's the Justice Department's argument. We'll see where the judge, because he seemed a little skeptical of that. He seemed to say, you know, there does seem to be precedent here that says there is a First Amendment interest at stake. And when that happens, it triggers all sorts of, you know, judicial review and it sets a pretty high bar for scrutiny by courts. Um, so once the First Amendment kicks in, it gets pretty serious. But if the judge doesn't buy that argument, um, then, you know, he, the DOJ lawyer may be correct that legally, at least, setting aside the norms question, the president can legally do that. So Now, um, CNN did not stand alone, right? That's correct. I should disclose that my employer, BuzzFeed News, was among a coalition of media organizations that presented an amicus friend of court brief to the court supporting CNN. But, and you were not alone. I mean, I, I've got the yes, list here. Yes, it's a very long list. Um, the White House Correspondents Association, I, I don't know if it's really they filed a brief, but they did issue a, a statement. statement in support. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, depending on how long it goes, some of these people may file briefs as well. But in support of CNN include Associated Press, Bloomberg, Gannett, the National Press Club, which I found unusual, NBC News, New York Times, Politico, Washington Post, USA Today, BuzzFeed. Um, we should put the uh, Bill Press show on the list there as well, Peter, don't you think? We should. Yeah, absolutely. About to take a vote. Yeah, hell yeah. I vote yes. I vote yes. How about Ray? We'll say Ray is a yes. All right. Unanimous. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, and Cyprian. Even, oh, whoa, we got Cyprian here. Even Fox News issued a statement supporting... uh, Cyprian's a yes, too. Yeah. All right. Fox, and then Fox, Fox News, right. Supported a statement, not joining the amicus brief, but supported a, you know, supporting CNN um, in a statement. So yeah. that's a pretty deep bench of support for okay. CNN. Now, um, why did they take a, uh, Jim's pass away? Well, at first they said because he assaulted this intern. Or assault may be too strong a word, but he this grabbed placing her. Placing of hands was the word language physical, used. Some physical, right. Uh, then they And they put out the video to prove that, right? The video, which turned out to have been sped up, doctored or whatever. So then they backed away from that, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders said and it was because he uh, refused to surrender the microphone. <coughs> Pardon me. Okay, maybe he should have given it back, but he was trying to ask his question and trying to get an answer to his question. It's a follow-up question. So then she sort of backed away from that, and then she finally said, no, it was because of his rude behavior. At the, so, um, and the judge yesterday was skeptical, right, about the changing uh, reasons for taking the pass? I have to say skeptical is a strong word. I think he wanted to <laughs> drill down a bit and get to what is actually the reason that the government is now saying, you know, on the record in court, was the reason that they took away the hard pass. And DOJ's lawyer basically said, we've been consistent, the government's been consistent the whole time. It was always about the disorder and the rudeness. And if you look at you know, you, the nuances of the original statement through the statement we've gotten this week, there's always been a common theme, which is the disorder and the rudeness by Jim Acosta. Um, but the DOJ lawyer did acknowledge that they've basically walked away from this idea that it was because there was some physical yeah. altercation between Jim Acosta and this intern, which is what the White House had talked about initially. Right. Um, the attorney, uh, Mr. Burnham, yes. right, from the Justice Department, uh, as reported in the New York Times this morning, uh, in response to the judge, he replied that Ms. Sanders' claim was of physical abuse was legally irrelevant and no longer the operating rationale in the case. Right. It sort of reminds me of the... Uh, the, the no longer viable, right? And back in the Reagan days, who was that? La uh, not Larry Speaks, but I forget. Um, anyhow, 
we remember that incident where no that does that doesn't mean anything. That's sort of like throwing Huckabee Sarah Huckabee Sanders under the bus. It was a little bit. I think, you know, James Barnum, the DOJ lawyer, was asked who made the initial decision. And he said the record is not clear on that. That's that's another thing. They couldn't say who made the right. decision. But he said, but what we know is that at least Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, made the decision at the point that she put out the statement saying this had happened. And then the president, he said, ratified it the next day by speaking in favor of it. But he wasn't even able to say who was the original decision Who could decision have maker. made the decision? John Kelly? It's really not clear. I mean, it sounds like the, the Justice Department is arguing the discretion sort of rests with the president, but that could certainly be people around him, you know, senior officials in the administration. It could mean the president sort of writ large as the office. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'd, be, I'd bet the farm that was Donald Trump who made the decision who called them in afterwards and said that a-hole, you know, take his wife, take his heart pass away. Yeah. It was interesting. There was an a affidavit filed by Sam Donaldson, very famous yes. former White House a, reporter. Former uh, ABC top saying White House reporter. He, you know, reminding everyone that he famously uh-huh. never, you know, refused to give up the mic on a regular basis. Yeah. And yeah. the White House, that was what he was known for, was sort of this aggressive questioning. And his hard pass was never taken away. Um, And that even Jim Acosta has had a tense relationship with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, with the president, and his pass, you know, hadn't been taken away until now. And so they're arguing that this is the culmination of months of attacks based on the content and viewpoint of this reporter in violation of the First Amendment. What what Sam Donaldson did to Ronald Reagan and the shouting and the getting all these questions, I mean, that was far more aggressive than anything we've seen from the media today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. rightfully so, by the way. That's yes. not a knock yes. on Sam Donaldson. Yes. He no. was great no. at what he did. I started my television career in Los Angeles at KABC TV, the ABCONO in in Los in Los Angeles. I spent doing political commentary. Um I'll bet you half of my commentaries in the first year were defending Sam Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exaggeration. But a lot. I mean in fact, when I finally met Sam, he said, oh, you're my champion. You're nice. my champion. Because <laughs> I was always out there defending Sam for asking tough questions if they didn't like it. So that's, you know, it's like Harry Truman said, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Part, partly, part of the job is getting tough questions, right? And, yeah. And, and, one of and, the... and part of the job as a reporter is to ask them. And CNN's lawyer had said, you know, the president has set the tone here. That's what, you know, yesterday in court, CNN's lawyer said that this president has encouraged sort of a rough and tumble atmosphere at press conferences. So it's not it wasn't a Jim Acosta thing. It was responding him responding to how this president deals with the press when he He makes himself available. Even that day when he called on Jim, by the way, he called on him knowing there's going to be a dust up. I mean, he just he I think he wanted it was setting Jim up in a sense. Uh, But uh, but. He did say, oh, here we go again, or something like that, right? You know, which was sort of like egging him on, you know. Um, Interesting on the legal front, too, that yesterday, so the Federalist Society is meeting here in Washington. Yes. Their big annual convention. The big annual convention, the conservative wing of the legal profession, if you will. Uh, and usually it's all sweetness and light and all unity, and they should—they have a lot certainly to, to gloat about this year because they've got 
not only Neil Gorsuch, but Brett Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court. They've got all these appellate judges and district judges that have been ran through by Mitch McConnell. They've had a good, they've, and they, they're the ones who made up the list. Donald Trump said he wouldn't take anybody who was not on the Federal Society list. So we think they're all together. And yet, a rump group is formed in among the Federalists. Uh, they call themselves, if I can find, the Checks and Balances Group. That's right. Uh, led by George Conway. Hello, hello. He pops up again. Kellyanne Conway's husband. How long is that marriage going to last? And their their point is that that they're worried that the Constitution is being trampled on by the Trump administration, and they, as conservatives, have to stand up for the Constitution and challenge Donald Trump. This yeah. is huge. It is. I think it's um, it's not the most surprising move in that there have been rumblings from some conservative and libertarian lawyers and law professors really since the campaign. Um, it's no secret that there were a number of, of lawyers who were very concerned about Trump. They, you know, counted themselves as never Trumpers mm -hmm. within the Republican Party. Um, and they had been sort of a constant low drumbeat on the right, you know, expressing concern about this president. But, you know, also being part of the larger group of conservatives who were really pleased with Trump on judges. And that was really how Trump tried to get a lot of these never Trumpers onto his side by saying, yeah, maybe I'm, you know, t you hate me for everything else. But I'm going to be really reasonable <laughs> and do exactly what you want on judges. These are, you know, lifetime appointments. How can you give that up? So I think things kind of stayed low key for a, a while. Um, but there is now this group that feels, you know, more empowered to go public with their concerns. So and what speak can up. they possibly do? It's a great question. Um, it's not really clear what they can do. They can make themselves known. These are, you know, if you look at the list of names, these are very prominent thinkers on the right, you know, very influential law professors, especially um, lawyers in private practice. Um, they include, I might add, Tom Ridge, right. former governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, the one that I thought was surprising is, I don't know any of these, I know Tom Ridge, but uh, is Laurie Meyer, who is a successful attorney in her own right, mm -hmm. who is married to the president of the Eugene Federalist Meyer. Society. That's right. That's right. Um, and, of course, George Conway. And George Conway, yeah. Um, so, you know, they maybe we'll see them write letters, you know, public letters that go out or that they get other people to sign. Um, they can, you know, obviously they have some, they have connections within the conservative legal world. We know that people like Leonard Leo at the Federalist Society have the president's ear, not just on judges, but on a broad range of subjects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's considered someone the president listens to and it's possible they may try to use those relationships to try to undo or walk back things that they see as, as dangerous or unconstitutional. Yeah. Uh, two of the things that they did mention as specific cases where they think the, the Constitution might have been trampled, one is that Donald Trump saying I'm going to end a birthright citizenship um, and secondly this appointment of Matt Whitaker as which John Con uh, George Conway wrote his op-ed about in the New York Times, uh, pointing him as the acting attorney general. Yeah, and where does that stand right now? Right now, um, I mean, I know the Justice Department. Surprise, surprise! 
Matt Whitaker's Justice Department came out and said. Yes. So yesterday we got a memorandum from the Office of Legal Counsel, which sort of says this is the legal position of the Justice Department. And they said his appointment was constitutional. It was also lawful under federal statute, um, that there was really no question, even though it was Mm -hmm. highly unusual and basically unprecedented. Um, that they were going to defend it. And we have a legal challenge out in Maryland in federal district court where the Maryland Attorney General, Brian Frosch, his office is arguing that it was unconstitutional and unlawful in a case they'd already brought against the Trump administration about Obamacare. And when you have a change in leadership, normally the new you know Attorney General gets substituted as a defendant. So Jeff Sessions was sued in that case in his official capacity. Uh-huh. And now they're arguing this is not just a pro forma stick in Matthew Whitaker's name in there, that by doing that, you're validating the lawfulness of that appointment. And so they're arguing the judge, they want this judge to declare that it was not unlawful and to substitute Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein's name in the record as the lawful acting attorney general. So there's a hearing on that scheduled for December and assuming the president sticks with Whitaker and by all accounts that we've heard, he's planning to do so for now. Um, there may be a showdown next month in court on that. Right. So this, I was wondering what, how the Maryland Attorney General would have standing in a case like this, and so that's yeah, it's not a separate lawsuit. There's no, they're not arguing sort of an independent uh, injury to them. They're just arguing that procedurally, <laughs> there are ramifications if the you know an uh, invalid official is substituted. So if the judge issues an order in this Obamacare case saying you, DOJ, need to do X, and if there's someone serving as attorney general who's not lawfully there, anything he or she does might be invalid, you know, even sub- subject to a judicial order. So they're arguing it, it's, it matters uh, technically whose name is, is in court. Now, the classic Washington guessing game, um, what's next with Robert Mueller. I mean, Donald Trump was tweeting again this morning saying that inside the Mueller camp, it's just chaos. They're screaming at people and shouting at people. And who knows what's that based on? But what do we know when we haven't heard from Mueller in a couple of months? What's going on? And we haven't. Um, there was generally a sense that he was going to be quiet leading up to the election yeah, okay. just in terms of norms. Yeah, but that's a, that's a week ago. It's done. It was ages ago at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've had Roger Stone saying all, he's going to he thinks he's going to get indicted. Jerome um, Corsi. Jerome Corsi, who went live on YouTube to say, I'm going to be indicted. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Um, but clearly, you know, he's he's saying that he heard something directly from Mueller's people, that he'd been talking to them. He felt that they got him on perjury and that's what they're going to charge him with. Um, you know, we've you know, being around the courthouse, there's no indication. You know, we don't know. Mm, how do I say this? You know, it's our understanding that M- Mueller's prosecutors are still working. The grand jury is still meeting. There's no indication it's been dissolved or stopped. We know that Paul Manafort's still cooperating. Rick Gates is still cooperating. Um, that's all still going. So, you know, I think we're just waiting to see what he does. But there are definitely some names out there that seem like likely candidates as kind of the next defendants that we'll see in court. And do is it expected that he has some indictments already sealed, packaged, tied with a bow, ready to... To release? It's a dangerous game to play. You know, sealed cases crop up in federal court all the time. And there are often, you know, conspiracy theorists online who will say, oh, there's another sealed case. This has got to be Mueller. But 
There are sealed cases for any number of things that stay sealed for months or years on drug matters, on you know other investigations. So we really just don't know what's coming and what's not or what's already out there. Um, you know, certainly we know that Michael Cohen is out there. We know that Michael Cohen was in Washington this week and there was reporting mm. that he was meeting with Mueller's office. So whether that's going to lead to something, we don't know. Um, and then there's this specter of the report, the Mueller report, which the public may or may not see, depending on how that gets handled. And the president keeps saying, you know, this report is going to come and something is going to happen. But we really, there's just a lot of unknowns. Uh, it won't happen for a while, but for another six weeks or so. But with Democrats in control of Congress, that will give Mueller some protection that he did not have before. Yes. And, you know, even in the event Mueller's office were completely, you know, dissolved, defunded, if they just ended it, you know, there is some precedent for, for instance, House Democrats getting all of those materials. They can, you know, could request or subpoena to get what he had or, you know, if there was a draft Mm. report, there Mm -hmm. are are options for them to get into behind the scenes, you know, draw back the curtain on what happened in the investigation. They could do an investigation into the investigation and bring witnesses in and, you know, subpoena documents. So they have more options starting in January. Right. That No, that's very interesting. I hadn't realized. So that uh, if the thing is interrupted, Democrats could get the work so far, the work in progress. Maybe. My understanding is maybe, yeah. yes. And then continue that as their own investigation, right? Sure. Yeah, so many options. Well, we'll see what the judge does on the CNN case this afternoon, 3 o'clock three East o'clock. Coast time. Zoe Tillman, you can follow her on BuzzFeed, all of our good friends at BuzzFeed, at buzzfeed.com. Uh, have a great day, folks. The rest of the day is yours, and then come back and see us tomorrow. This we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.